The Weekend Out, episode 284. <laughs> okay, so this is another one of those stories where my inner voice says, maybe you shouldn't cover this one, which means, as usual, yeah, I'm gonna go ahead and cover it anyway. And the reason for my trepidation is that it's another one of those stories about a high-profile atheist facing sexual assault or sexual misconduct allegations. And my fear when covering these stories is always that staunch supporters of the individual in question might object, thinking I'm fanning the flames or fueling the allegations by discussing them, or that maybe, you know, I'm kicking the accused while they're down. Uh, but hey, I cover topics that interest me and that fall inside the wheelhouse of the show. And since David Silverman, yes, this time it's David Silverman, is such a big name in the quote-unquote atheist community, I thought, well, you know, this is a pretty big story. And I've been following David Silverman for years, so it definitely caught my attention. And for those of you who aren't aware, up until very recently, uh, Silverman had been the president of the nonprofit organization American Atheists. And I'm not sure if they're the only atheist group that does this, but uh, American Atheists are well known for those controversial billboards they put up at Christmas time. And I've always had mixed feelings about those. Even though I'm an atheist myself, uh, agnostic atheist, non-believer, whatever. I always found those billboards uh, a little grinchy, you know, to be shoving those in people's faces at Christmas time. And I know there's many of you uh, fellow non-believers out there who feel differently, I'm just saying. And another thing that David Silverman is well known for is that whole tides go in, tides go out thing. I don't know if you remember that. Uh, back a few years ago, David Silverman made an appearance on The O'Reilly Factor back when Bill O'Reilly still had a show on Fox. And I think Silverman may have had several appearances on that show or that network in general. And as you might imagine, he had a bit of a... Well, I don't know how heated it was, but he had an exchange with Bill O'Reilly. They were butting heads over the topic of God, religion, etc. And... Bill O'Reilly basically gave birth to a meme right there on national television or whatever. He was acting like he thought it was going to be this big gotcha. His response to David Silverman's lack of belief in a higher power was, the tides go in, the tides go out. How do you explain that? to church and you get on your knees and you pray to an Correct. invisible man in the sky invisible and you man don't in the think sky that's a scam no i don't you, uh, you know and i'll tell you why a man that was you know, built by a man i'll tell you why it's not a scam in my opinion uh -huh. all right tide goes in tide goes out never a miscommunication you can't explain that you can explain why the tide goes tide in tide goes in yeah. tide goes out see the out. water the tide comes in and it goes out mr silverman uh, maybe it it's always four comes on in, top of mount olympus out. who's making the tides go in and no, out no no but you can't explain how dare you david silverman thor's from norse mythology mount olympus is in greek mythology <laughs> And before anyone says anything, yes, I am very well aware that Mount Olympus is actually a real mountain in Greece, too. Um, I'm just kidding with David Silverman there. He's probably just being glib. Hopefully he does know his mythology. It's not necessary to know that stuff, but as a uh, mythology buff myself, you know, I appreciate it. And of course, the correct answer to Bill O'Reilly's rhetorical question there, or whatever it was, is gravitational forces. That's how you explain the tide. Um, gravitational forces uh, exerted by the moon, sun, and uh, the rotation of the earth, I believe. 
But anyway, back to the story at hand, and I think I first found out about the story through uh, Patheos. Patheos, I believe, at the moment has a couple of articles about it, but I'm actually going to read from a BuzzFeed article, and the only reason why is, and, and I have to be honest with you guys, you know, I try to pride myself on valuing intellectual honesty. That, yeah, whenever I hear a, a story about a story like this in the news, the first thing I wonder is, and I don't know what it says about me, what exactly is it that the person is being accused of doing? Part of my interest might be salacious, and part of it might be because I honestly want to know the facts before, you know, I begin to pass judgment on someone. I don't know, but I, I noticed that BuzzFeed was the first article I discovered that went into detail um, regarding the allegations. Maybe the Patheos articles did too. I, I don't think so, but I kind of skipped through them. So this one's dated April 13th, actually. It looks like it's by someone named Peter Aldos, uh, A-L-D-H-O-U-S. And it's entitled, This Firebrand Atheist Was Just Fired After Allegations of Financial Conflicts and Sexual Assault. David Silverman raised the profile of American atheists through billboard campaigns that mimicked the tactics of the evangelicals whose message he opposed. Now he stands accused of financial conflicts and sexual misconduct. And the first paragraph seems kind of redundant, so I'll skip down a bit. The group's board held an emergency meeting Thursday evening and unanimously voted to fire 51-year-old Silverman based on explosive written allegations of sexual assault and undisclosed conflicts of interest, BuzzFeed News has learned. Last night, the American Atheist Board of Directors voted to terminate David Silverman as president of American Atheists, the group said in a statement released Friday. The board made its decision after reviewing quote-unquote allegations raised regarding Mr. Silverman's conduct, the statement said. The board also said it intends to cooperate with any future investigations. In a brief statement to BuzzFeed News, Silverman's lawyer, Sebastian Ayano, said that Mr. Silverman denies any wrongdoing and has never had a non-consensual sexual encounter. At the time of the alleged incidents, he added, Silverman and his wife were in an open marriage. Freaky, man. I, I mean, if it works for you, I don't have any moral objections to an open marriage. You know, I don't have any religious hang-ups regarding sex. But for me personally, it just seems so odd I'm the type of person I think I've talked about before. You know, I'm kind of wired for monogamy, I think. And I just don't know how you could let your sexual partner or spouse just go off and, you know, you know they're going to have sex with someone else without sexual jealousy rearing its ugly head or without some other kind of emotional conflict welling up. But I guess there's a couple of possibilities, right? I mean, it, maybe if you have... A couple that have been in a marriage for a long time and they still view their marriage as a partnership and they still kind of get along and there's still things they like about each other as people, but maybe the magic's kind of gone and they've kind of fallen out of romantic love or the sexual attraction isn't what it used to be, then maybe I could kind of see how an open marriage might work. And the only other way, I guess, is if you just have two people who are really kinky freaks, I guess, <laughs> who both going into the relationship know they that's the type of arrangement they want. I guess, okay, you know. 
and I think it eventually gets even freakier because I think uh, BDSM actually comes into play. Silverman became president of American Atheists in 2010 and helped raise the organization's profile. In 2012, he organized the Reason Rally in Washington, D.C., which brought thousands of atheists to the National Mall to hear speeches promoting secularism from celebrities, including evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins, comedian Eddie Izzard, and Mythbusters co-host Adam Savage. Silverman became the religious right's favorite godless bogeyman. Is it boogeyman or bogeyman? Mr. Burns says bogeyman, right? Sparring with presenters on Fox News after launching billboard campaigns, urging people to skip church and telling them that Christmas is a myth. In another stunt, he applied in New Jersey for the vehicle license plate, quote-unquote, atheist, all caps, but the uh, the eyes replaced with, with a one, which was denied for being, quote-unquote, objectionable. And if that's true, that's just awful. I don't know how, unless you're coming at it from a biased religious perspective, how you could find simply the word atheist to be objectionable. And I don't know how that case actually turned out. I'll probably look into it later. But it does seem like there's definitely some kind of separation of church and state issue there. Uh, that doesn't really seem fair. But anyway, uh, I'll skip down a bit. On Tuesday, American atheist placed Silverman on paid leave while it investigated a complaint from staff concerned that he had not disclosed financial and personal conflicts of interest relating to the promotion of his book, Fighting God, an Atheist Manifesto for a Religious World, and the appointment to a senior position of a woman with whom Silverman was allegedly having a sexual relationship. That appointment has been rescinded. Okay, then it says, after word spread about the investigation, American atheists received additional written complaints about two allegations of sexual misconduct involving Silverman. Then the following paragraph touches a bit on the recent uh, Lawrence Krauss scandal, which I covered uh, a few episodes back. Yeah, it talks about how they each filed a written complaint to American atheists. In one of those complaints, a woman described a hotel room party held at the end of the 2015 American Atheist Convention in Memphis. She used her name in the confidential complaint, but because of concerns about hostility experienced by other women who have made allegations of sexual misconduct against prominent atheists, she asked BuzzFeed News to use her first initial R. She and Silverman had known each other for years, and he flirted with her throughout the evening, she wrote in the complaint. After the other guests left R, wrote that Silverman asked her to join him in smoking marijuana on the roof. That sounds like a good time so far. But before they left the room, he suddenly forced himself on her. He physically pressed me to the wall and began to kiss me forcefully grabbed my breasts and put it, in, this is getting graphic, and put his hand into my leggings where there was actual penetration of my vagina, she wrote. And I apologize if anyone's offended or disturbed by the graphic nature of the allegations. And I'm not trying to sound prudish. This stuff doesn't bother me. But I know some people are more easily disturbed by graphic, you know, accounts and language than others. And in fairness to the uh, alleged victim, I think it's important to highlight uh, alleged because I don't think anything's gone to court or there's been any arrest or anything yet. That I guess that if, if you feel like you've been wronged, violated, sexually assaulted, and you want to see the person who victimized you 
held accountable and you want to try to prevent what happened to you from happening to others, then, you know, you could argue that it's important to include the kind of gruesome details of what you were put through. But block your ears if this stuff bothers you because it continues. Our believe Silverman knew she was interested in BDSM and wrote that he began using insulting language, calling her a quote-unquote dirty little whore, and then pushed her to her knees, and this is in quotes, where his penis briefly made contact with my mouth, her mouth, not mine. She, David Silverman never touched his penis to my mouth. I'm planning, you know, I'm planning to try and make it to the grave without a penis ever touching my mouth. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I just happen to be, you know, running that hetero software or whatever. <laughs> um, and I know I shouldn't be laughing while reading someone's, you know, harrowing account. Um, but it is kind of an awkward thing to read into a microphone, you know. But anyway, it continues, R got her feet, not got to her feet, but it says R got her feet and said, no, she wrote. Silverman then lightly slapped her face and said, you don't get to say no to me. At that point, R said the widely used BDSM safe word, quote unquote, red, which stopped him. And then she left. The next day, R took photographs of bruises where she said Silverman had grasped her and these pictures were included in her complaints to American atheists. Two prominent atheists confirmed to BuzzFeed News that R told them about the incident in the days after it happened. So I have to admit, I'm kind of naive when it comes to the whole BDSM thing. Uh, there's another thing I kind of struggle to wrap my head around. You know, kind of like with the open marriage thing, it's like, if it works for you and no one's getting hurt, I guess, although I think being hurt with consent to a degree, might be part of the whole BDSM thing. You know, as, as long as no one's being forced to do something against their will, uh, then yeah, you know, have at it. But it, it's just for me. It's uh, not to get too graphic or off on a tangent here, but to me it's always been like, you know, exploring each other's bodies, all the different positions, isn't that fun enough? You gotta do like the choking and the tying up and stuff. Uh, I have no, like, desire in me to hurt someone, you know, during sex. That causes no sexual pleasure for me or whatever. And I also uh, kind of like a little claustrophobic or whatever. I hate being restrained, don't like being... I, I couldn't imagine it. Just not for me. And uh, I actually have... This might be divulging too much, but I have um, a number of female friends. And no female friend isn't uh, some kind of humble brag euphemism for people I've been intimate with. The majority of my female friends are actually that. Platonic friends and uh, acquaintances or whatever. But, you know, maybe we've been drinking and we have like we get to a, a bunch of us get to a candid conversation about sex or whatever. And I've heard girls, women bring up how they a lot of them actually enjoy, you know, not like actual choking, like choking the life out of someone, but like light choking, like a hand around their throat. And I'm like, I don't know. I mean, maybe if you've had, you know, so many sexual experiences that everything else starts to seem plain vanilla and that's your way of spicing it up or something, you know, as, as long as no one's getting hurt. But especially in, you know, 
in this current environment <laughs> where you just hear about these sexual assault allegations coming out against everyone. I especially ain't gonna try to choke no one now. I've had at least one girl, and this is really, you know, like TMI type stuff, ask me if I wanted to choke her. And I'm like, no thanks. No, not really my thing. And also maybe I'm hoping, you know, it was also just a bit of savvy on my part. Like, uh, you know, do you really want to put your hand on someone else's throat when after the fact, if you have a falling out or something, they could try to spin it another way? But anyway, uh, back to the story. My read on this, just going by this account, if this is actually how it went down, is that David, it sounds like David Silverman was this horny middle-aged guy with the hots for this for this girl. Um, as she says... He supposedly knew, or she thought he knew, that she was into BDSM. So my guess, this was probably his horrible attempt at making a BDSM-style pass or move on her, you know? And obviously, I wasn't there that night. Um, So... I mean, all we have is her side right now. I don't know what happened leading up to that point. I think she said he'd been flirting with her, either had a habit of flirting with her or was flirting with her that night. Um, I don't know if the flirting was mutual. I don't know if there was any type of foreplay before that happened. But no, if I walk back a bit, if I go back and revisit the article, it says, according to her account... There was smoking marijuana on the roof. And before they left, he suddenly forced himself on her. So I don't know. I don't know what his side of the story is. I don't know if he'd say that um, maybe there's some sexual tension or chemistry there. And it was kind of like a two-sided thing, you know, that was going on before he made his move. But according to her account, it sounds like they were just, you know, it was like a couple of buddies smoking pot. All of a sudden, he grabs her aggressively and starts trying to do sexual stuff to her and if that's the case i mean obviously it goes without saying that's wrong you shouldn't just grab someone and start aggressively trying to you know penetrate them digitally or forcing them on their knees when if you know according to her account she's not even showing any interest in sex she's just there to smoke pot and also i mean that's coming on pretty heavy. I mean, not even a lead-in with an attempt at a kiss or anything, I don't know. But once again, we've got her story. I don't know what his story is. Let me see, it continues. Greta Christina. Now, there's a name I haven't heard in a while. Did I just accidentally do that, like, Ben Kenobi meme? Um, I remember when I was reading up, well, I first found out about all the, uh, the Atheism Plus free thought blogs drama. She was one of the central figures. Um, I remember learning about all that stuff when I had naively stumbled ass backwards into a Gamergate a few years ago or whatever. Um, Greta Christina, a blogger and speaker, said that R was extremely distressed. It became very clear to me it was a case of sexual assault, Christina said. Heine Dadaboy? Really? Heine, D-A-D-A-B-H-O-Y. Dadaboy? 
who is known in atheist circles for speaking about leaving Islam to join the movement, said that they woke up the morning after the incident to find a series of distressed Facebook messages from R and immediately contacted her. BuzzFeed News has reviewed the messages. I was just trying to comfort her and talk her through it, Data Boy said. I don't care how that is pronounced. I just like saying Data Boy. R told BuzzFeed News that she did not complain to American atheists at the time because she was worried that her reputation would be attacked given Silverman's power within the movement. She decided to tell the organization this week after learning that it was investigating him. See, then there's another allegation which it says was reviewed by the American Atheist Board and involves Rose St. Clair, who alleged that Silverman used his position of power to pressure her into having sex with him. And here's a quote. At several points during this encounter, I hesitated to continue, she wrote. I believe that if I did anything to upset him, my chances at being involved in the secular community, especially with American atheists, would be ruined. So like I'll say here, right off the bat, And maybe it's one of those things that's easy to say in hindsight, you know, when you're not in that situation. But I think, like, your dignity and your right to say no is more important than trying to preserve your chances of being involved in the quote-unquote secular community. And, uh, you know, I've talked about on the show a lot how I came to my atheistic worldview on my own. It was kind of a a long and harrowing process. You know, I I started to have doubts at a young age and did a lot of wrestling with the big existential questions. Is or isn't there a God? Is there an afterlife? What happens to us when we die? All that stuff. And uh, I also had an interest in things like comparative religion history of religion, you know, that kind of stuff from a relatively early age, uh, mythology, that kind of thing. And the more I learned about the origins of religion, including the one I had been born into, indoctrinated into, the more I started to realize the man-made nature of it all. And there was a time, as I've said a lot before on the show, that uh, I could think of nothing worse Nothing more horrible than the idea that there might not be a god or there might not be an afterlife. But at the same time, I wanted to know what was true. And with time, my reason eroded my faith. And it wasn't an easy journey. Um, And I think it's important to... Because I think a lot of people have stories like that, you know? I think there's probably like two kinds of atheists. There's the type who go through what I went through who are raised religious. And then there's the type that come from kind of, um, you know, relatively secular homes or whatever where religion was never really a thing growing up. So I think in a way they didn't feel... Those people don't feel like they really had anything to lose. They just never really believed in the first place or weren't raised to believe. But yeah, I was definitely one of those atheists who had to go through that kind of uh, losing your religion phase or whatever. Um, And I think, you know, it's our free thinking, our critical thinking, our rational thought, our desire to want to know the truth and to not be swayed by groupthink that leads so many of us to become atheists in the first place that you shouldn't throw out 
your critical thinking, your free will, your aversion to groupthink, just to be part of the quote-unquote secular or atheist community. The only thing I like about the idea of a quote-unquote secular or atheist community is that I think in some ways people are stronger in numbers, that if you have a large organized group of people, that might make it easier for a group to fight for their rights or to eventually become accepted by the majority rather than, say, everyone staying fragmented and just keeping their atheistic thoughts to themselves or whatever. Um, yeah, but that being said, I'm really wary of groupthink. The mere mention of community kind of raises alarm bells in my mind or for me, you know. But I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing to belong to an atheist organization or whatever. And, you know, I think they can be a force for good, a force for change, a way to help promote things like critical thinking and reason. And they could be a, a real vehicle for activism, like the way the Satanic Temple takes on separation of church and state issues, etc., and I imagine they also probably provide a lot of non-believers with a, a sense of acceptance uh, somewhere where they don't have to feel like they're being judged and made to feel ashamed because they have the intelligence and reason to question religion. Um, but I think if you are going to be a part of an atheist community, remember that you have a duty to yourself to still hold on to your critical thinking, to not let people pressure you into doing that which you don't want to do, and, and to always try to exercise the thing that led you to atheism in the first place, your ability to think for yourself. But anyway, let me uh, hop down off my soapbox and continue with the article. In 2012, St. Clair was an undergraduate at the College of William and Mary in Virginia who hoped to make a career in the atheist movement. Well, <laughs> yeah, uh, me too, for about five or six years now. This is, this podcast really does continue to be a labor of love. I do have, was it about 15 or 16 patrons on Patreon, and I am very thankful and appreciative of you guys. And um, there's, there are times, and I'm not trying to be, you know, melodramatic or whatever, but when the bills do get tight, and even though it's only like 50 bucks a month, sometimes that can make the difference. And it will, it at least, you know, as I like to say, covers the, the cost of hosting the show, um, where I pay about almost 20 bucks to Podbean a month to host the feed for this podcast. So uh, I, I am very thankful, but I, I'm pretty damn far from rolling in um, American atheist dough. <laughs> but yeah, it just sounds really weird to me. She says she was, she was hoping to make a career in the atheist movement. Some people do. There are a lot of high profile atheists out there who are part of uh, rather lucrative nonprofit organizations or whatever. And I don't know the logistics. Uh, I don't know how much someone can potentially make from working for a nonprofit organization. But I do know they are allowed to pay staff members uh, a salary. And some people seem to be doing all right working for a nonprofit, you know. 
And I was just curious. So I'm actually looking at um, American Atheist website here, and they do actually post their um, or, or they have their financial documents on the site. Their t- their tax documents. And the most recent year I could find is 2016. It says beginning of current year, over $2 million, $2,214,650. Name and address of principal officer, David Silverman, right there. Uh, In fairness, I don't know how that money gets divided, how much uh, Silverman himself would make, uh, how much the various employees get paid. How much just gets funneled back into the organization to cover costs? You know, I, I don't know. But anyway, let's see. So where the heck was I? Yeah, in 2012, St. Clair was an undergraduate at the College of William and Mary in Virginia. Hoped to make a career in the atheist movement. Try not to get side, sidetracked by that again. At the annual convention of the Secular Student Alliance in Columbus, Ohio, she was invited to go to a bar with a group of speakers at the conference, including Silverman. St. Clair had said that she quickly became drunk but remembered Silverman flirting with her and then suggesting that they go to his hotel room. I don't believe I was in a position to be able to give consent. I was very intoxicated, St. Clair told BuzzFeed News. She said that Silverman did not have any condoms and pressured her into having, you know, gotta be graphic again, get your seatbelts on, uh, pressured her into having anal sex. Afterwards, St. Clair said that Silverman told her she would have to leave early in the morning because his wife would be arriving at the hotel. She said he told her not to apply for an internship with American atheists because appointing her could be seen as preferential treatment. And yet at the beginning of the story, I think they talk about how um, an appointment was recently rescinded. You know, he had supposedly given an appointment to another woman that he had an affair with or whatever. I felt my interest in working for the organization was used as a way for him to have power so that I would have sex with him, St. Clair said. Ashley Miller, an atheist activist, wrote to the board Thursday corroborating both R and St. Clair's accounts. They had previously told her about what happened but had not given permission to share their stories until now. Another friend of St. Clair's, Dustin Tucker, also wrote to American Atheists on Thursday, saying that St. Clair had told him about the incident in 2013. I have dwelled on these feelings for five years, Tucker wrote. I still cannot even think of that man without experiencing rage. I don't know why that gave me the giggles. St. Clair said that she decided to go public about her experience only after learning through Whisper Networks that she wasn't the only woman who had allegedly experienced sexual misconduct by Silverman. I can't sit and be quiet about it, she said. So I definitely have some thoughts on this one. Um, And I definitely feel like there are some factors or variables that might be being left out that could definitely make a difference or change our perspective on the story. For instance, she talks about um, being so intoxicated that she doesn't think she was in condition to consent. Well, I guess I'd want to know, was Silverman drinking too? Was he intoxicated? Uh, If he was stoned sober and he was trying to seduce someone or or pressure someone to sex who was shit-faced, that's obviously wrong. That's predatory behavior. Another possible scenario is that they were both drinking. Uh, was one significantly drunker than the other? I don't know. 
And this always gets confusing. Um, now in this like hyper PC environment uh, that we've seen of late, here we hear a lot about how if someone's almost some people couching it like if someone's been drinking at all, you know, if they have alcohol, any amount of alcohol in their system, they can't consent. You know, it's it's practically rape or sexual assault if if you engage in sexual congress with someone who has alcohol in their system. And this kind of seems so alien to me because I think I came up kind of, you know, thinking of alcohol as this social lube, that lube might have been a bad choice of words, that, you know, goes hand in hand with sex. You know, you're a teenager or hell, even an adult, and you know you're going to a party and, and you're single and you know there's drinking gonna be going on. You wonder if that's going to lead to people being all loosened up and maybe having a better chance of hooking up with uh, someone, you know? It almost seems like part of uh, the human mating ritual, at least, you know, in the West, involves drinking. You know, people of both sexes go to... Uh, or, you know, the same sex, whatever your orientation is, go to bars, go to parties, uh, partake of alcohol, helps everyone kind of loosen up, mix and mingle. Uh, everyone's hoping that they, you know, th they might meet someone or hit it off with someone or whatever. Um, but I think there are certain things that go without saying. Like, uh, if someone's so intoxicated that they can barely stand or communicate, you know, the just sloppy drunk, um, and you still have your wits about you, it's wrong, and you should know it's wrong. You can kind of feel it in your core. You should know that you shouldn't be pursuing that person, that they're not at all in their right mind. You know, they're blasted out of their gourd and uh, barely know what's going on. Um... And obviously, like I was saying before, if you're stone sober, you shouldn't be trying to um, talk someone who or wrangle someone who's inebriated into bed. I mean, and of course, still, you know, it's all relative. Like if uh, if your spouse or significant other has had like three drinks and they can hold their liquor pretty well, you know, uh, and you haven't had any. You know, maybe they were sipping wine coolers or beer over the course, like three, two or three over the course of like four or six hours or something. I don't know. And you just, for some reason, had to abstain from drinking. I don't think anyone's going to hold it against you if you um, engage them in sexual intimacy at the end of the night, you know. But you meet someone you know, for the first time, or maybe you're out on a date with someone and somehow you end up sober, they end up trashed um, or noticeably drunk. I, th I think it would be predatory to try to uh, steer or pressure them into having a sexual relationship with you or engaging in sexual intimacy. But I think, you know, if you're, um, if, if two people are both drinking, you know, you're at a party where everyone's drinking you're intoxicated, they're intoxicated. Uh, I don't think you have to, uh, you know, measure everything with graduated cylinders and make sure you're consuming the, just the right amount of alcohol for your respective body weight. No, but I mean, you know, 
if if you're both drunk, but you're still have enough of your wits about you that you can choose who you want to sleep with and don't want to sleep with. Um, and you know, you're not on the verge of passing out or whatever. Then, I mean, I mean, I think that's something that's probably been going on for time immemorial or since people first discovered alcohol, you know? And so the other component of that story is, was Silverman abusing his, his power or his position to get sex? Now, if it went down the way she said it did, that Silverman knew she was interested in working for his organization and used that as leverage or, you know, as a way to persuade her into having sex. And then when the sexual encounter is over, yanks the rug out from under her and says, don't bother applying it, it would it would look like uh, preferential treatment, then that would be unbelievably scummy. Um, and at the same time, you know, I think, what do they say? This girl was still in college. So I don't know what her exact age was. Um, but let's say she's somewhere in her 20s or whatever at the time. I don't know. Says so she she was an undergraduate at the time. So she could have been 18 to well into her 20s, depending on when she started college and how far into her degree she was. Um, and Silver, this was back in 2012. Silverman probably would have been in his 40s or something, right? Um, I would say that as the older person and as the person kind of holding the power card in the sense that he had the job... Or, or he had the power to give her the position she was looking for, that most of the onus is on him. But at the same time, um, I also think it's wrong to debase yourself by providing someone with sexual favors in the hope of getting a job opportunity or whatever in return. And... Uh, Maybe you cut her some slack in that regard if she's really young because, you know, she still has some growing up and maturing to do. But if she was willing to engage in some kind of quid pro quo where she offers, she's willing, willingly ready to offer sex to someone in exchange for a career opportunity, and then the person yanks the opportunity away after the fact, uh, I think that's still really sleazy of the other person to, to do that. Um, it is almost in a weird way, like they stole sex or that, you know, they took advantage of you. But at the same time, I think you have to take some responsibility for willingly entering into this agreement or this, whether it's spoken or unspoken arrangement where you're willing to exchange sex for favors. Um, but that leads us back to the alcohol thing. Supposedly, she was also intoxicated, right? So, worst case scenario, we have this drunk girl, this drunk young girl, maybe who knows, late teens or somewhere in her 20s, um, who maybe is so intoxicated she can't really consent or isn't fit to consent. And you have an older guy um, in his 40s or whatever 
relatively older, you know, um, trying to manipulate her into sex, knowing that she's drunk and trying to add on to the pressure or as an added incentive dangling the possibility of a career opportunity in front of her or being, you know, welcomed into an organization, you know, that she uh, admires or wants to be a part of. Um, That's pretty damn shitty on his part. That's, uh, That's pretty sleazy. But once again, right now, we're just getting one side of the story. I don't know what his story would be. I would imagine he might have uh, a different take or he might try to offer some facts or variables that might put things in a different light. I don't know. You know, so I don't know how accurate this portrait of Silverman is that they're painting. But uh, if it if it did turn out to be accurate, I was just thinking how kind of ironic it would be um, where it's an atheist organization, but it would almost be like reminiscent of a corrupt medieval papacy or something where you have this libidinous guy in power using his position to procure sex and elect people um, to positions that perhaps they're not fit for or whatever. But I guess my final word would be that if you're an atheist, I wouldn't really let these stories get you down beyond the fact that as a human being, they're just in their own right. They're these kind of depressing, disturbing stories about human beings possibly, you know, sexually preying on other human beings. But I wouldn't let them get you down the sense that, oh, gee whiz, all my atheist heroes are, are rapists or whatever, uh, are, uh, you know, se- sexual uh, assaulters. Because um, I don't think this is a problem unique to the quote-unquote atheist community. Ever since that whole Harvey Weinstein thing broke, you know, the floodgates have just been opened. And I think people have felt empowered to come forward, more empowered now, to come forward with their stories of uh, being victims of sexual assault. And this is something we're seeing in all different areas of society. Like I said, not unique to uh, the atheist or secular movement. Uh, Not at all. But can I stop now? I've been going for like 40 minutes. Yeah, I can stop. What the hell? I'm the only one here talking to a mic. So uh, I guess I'll call it a wrap. You guys know the drill. Please like the Facebook page. You can follow the show on Twitter. You can check out the YouTube channel. Maybe you're doing that now. If you want to help the show out monetarily, which is always greatly appreciated, you can go to patreon.com slash theweekendout and support the show for as little as 99 cents a month and stop anytime you want. Or you can also uh, support the show monetarily via PayPal. I believe there's a PayPal widget at the bottom of the Podbean page. Hopefully it's still there. There's all that alliteration. All right, brothers and sisters, thanks, and until next time. (laughs) 